That's absolutely right. When Christian wisdom and knowledge meet, we are talking about Comenius Institute Warping Wolf Radio here on the Cool Groove site this morning. Me and my brother in the house, Dr. Mark Echo, Harold H.B. Bell, every Wednesday morning, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. We are weaving wisdom and knowledge <laughs> proverbially. Yes, we are. <laughs> How you doing, Mark? Uh, doing really good, man. We're doing the Proverbs again, of course. And we have uh, Dr. Daniel Watson coming in in the second hour. It's going to be great to talk with him about the necessity of having a conservative evangelical African-American voice in the academy. This is going to be good. Lord, this is going to be real yep. good. I'm going to have to sit back and listen on this. You know, I'll mess around <laughs> and get in trouble up in here. You know, I don't know how much is conservative about her. i got a lot of conservative. Yeah, you do. I have conservative yeah, ways do. and viewpoints, but yeah, I'm also do. outside the box and knowing how we're going to reach our young people, which is what we do. There you go. Um, and that's the focus of what we mm -hmm. do, uh, really, from the wisdom and knowledge standpoints that uh, the blueprint we've been given out of the book of Proverbs and then and trying to um, pass that over to our young people That's so right. they can have some foundation. And before we go any further, my brother, yep. last Wednesday, mm -hmm. um, in every breath and everything that I can say about what it is we're trying to do here <laughs> at Radio Next, that kind of fit the bill. Oh, isn't uh, that true, man? Oh, my God. The, all those wonderful young people that were in here, we had five young people last week, and it was great to have them. We have uh, meetings with them throughout the semesters, uh, Comenius Institute students, where they bring what they're dealing with in academics and intellectual life uh, to the lunch table, literally, and to personal meetings and say, hey, doc, what do you think about this? I heard this from a prof this week. What is, what's going on with that? Uh, but they came up in here last week, HB, as you well know, and talking about uh, telling stories about their uh, the kinds of things that they've engaged with and the great year that they've had and a gr some great uh, honor that was given to the Institute itself. So we're really and, grateful And for to that. you. I mean, you know, yeah, was the, nice. the homage that they paid to you was heartwarming. It was man, nice. Because truthfully, um, and we were talking about this before the show started, if we continue to want um, these roses to bloom, yes. then we have to cultivate the garden that they grow in, yeah. and we have to pull those weeds Gotta and spend all those time. traps and spend time. Nothing is a substitute for that. That's right. Um, so when we come back, we're going to dive into mm -hmm. uh, Conservative Academy uh, in, at the university level and uh, what we need to do to really start understanding what we are taking in. That's right. That's what I'm hearing. You know, That's we, it. we do a lot of... Uh, talking out but what That's are right. we taking in and how do we decipher it uh we'll be right back dr mark echo harold hb bell on warp and wolf radio at the cool groove site radio next tv on the cool groove site and we are back you are listening to warp and wolf radio comenius institute sponsored show and uh as we do each and every week let's get into comenius and uh let the audience know um how this great great program evolved you bet so john amos comenius moravian pastor from the 17th 15th uh, 16th 17th centuries a uh, wonderful man who uh, actually still is considered today to be the father of modern education. And uh, his uh, view of wisdom throughout the whole world is really the reason why I named this institute this way, uh, because that's what we're really after. As H.B. Uh, so wonderfully says at the beginning of our show, weaving wisdom and knowledge together, that's what we're interested in doing. And so, of course, for Comenius, we're helping young people going from high school into college bridge that uh, span helping them to maintain a Christian worldview going into a public university setting. We do that by sitting down with them, spending personal time with them, lunch table, personal discussions, all that kind of stuff. And, oh, by the way, we are always looking for somebody to help us 
a fund the radio program, HB. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and we are offering great sponsorship packages here at RadioNext.tv as we breed all community all the time. And it's more than buying a radio sponsorship market. It's pretty much a membership yeah. uh, to network with like-minded organizations um, all across the board, from the faith base to the community base to the business base level. And, uh, you know, the, the, the we're, we're continuing to grow. And in six years, we'll be celebrating uh, on the 27th of May. Uh, this little mustard seed that was yeah. planted, and uh, it's in full bloom. So if you want information on how to be a sponsor to this show or RadioNext.tv, mm-hmm. just contact me here, Harold H.B. Bell, or you can reach me at area code 317-625-4996. There like you go. Look at you, there, man. Oh, look at shoot. you. <laughs> and just let me add this final line to that little promo. Honestly, uh, my view of uh, so many things has been broadened since I've been here over a year now. And it's been wonderful not just to be with you and my brother, but also to be with all kinds of other folks that I've met. Oh, my word. It's been great. And just want to encourage people to do that. Man, that's almost like a segue into where we go yeah. um, in this conversation because we're talking about uh, having a special guest in today, Dr. Daniel Watson and uh, conservative African-American uh, professor uh, teaching uh, religion and, and different studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, communication is so vital and so important. That's right. And, and, you know, I mention it all the time, and it's ironic that we're talking about it today, and I use scripture about sometimes if you want to be a prophet, how you have to leave your own, you know, oh, uh, surroundings yeah. and your family because the people that you're trying to, to talk about, the great change that you might have mm-hmm. made, can only still relate to who you were who you've been Mm -hmm. uh that boy used to do this and you know that girl used to do that and we get hung up yeah but but we've got scripture that talks about it and people talk about mark the need to hear different voices than those of their own tribe so what does that mean? Yeah, so the word voices is a word that's used constantly. Uh, voices literally means those who speak for us because they have authority. So people we look at, we say, hey, you know, because they, they sing that song or they play that music or they, they create that film, they have a certain kind of voice. The word tribe is interesting, and, and a word, honestly, I don't like to use very often, but because people do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it today. And that is uh, the issue of the group with which we identify. And we might identify politically, culturally, religiously, whatever it might be. But those are the voices and those are the tribes, the folks that we're really concerned about being with. Now, as we've talked about this, and we talked about it last week, HB, the conservative students at IUPUI um, sometimes don't, ha- don't feel uh, real free to express their points of view because in, in some ways uh, they're actually concerned about their own grades. And so uh, they don't ra- they don't raise issues. Sometimes they don't bring up they don't even ask questions uh, because they're viewed as either racist or homophobe or whatever the case might be. And we see this all the time. There was an article uh, this last week about academic free speech and conservatives actually fighting uh, for free speech. And this was a uh, a big deal issue, and it is all over, really, uh, all over the nation. But this is kind of uh, going on here as well as uh, at places like Hood College, for instance, uh, this particular place that I'm mentioning. Uh, my essay on academic free speech uh, a few weeks ago, where a, and a professor was literally attacked physically on the Berkeley campus, uh, I'm sorry, at the Middlebury campus. Then again, there was a riot on the Berkeley campus because... Students on the left were didn't want to hear what people on the right had to say. And this was really sad. I mean, here you have a physical attack on a professor at a college. So I have a word for my conservative friends out there. I got words for liberals and conservatives today. Here they are. I got a word for my conservative friends. Don't talk to me about your principles. 
when you attempt to ram your views down somebody else's throat. I don't want that. I hate that. Don't come there. Don't bring that here. And for my liberal friends, don't talk to me about your tolerance when you shut down dialogue or disparage others because they don't agree with you. So there you are, HB. We got to send it both ways here today. And and I think what we have to do too is uh, when we start talking uh, liberal and conservative, um, uh, refresh our set on the definitions. Exactly. Of both. Who who are conservatives and who are liberals? Yeah. So you know. this is an important question, and and I really, <laughs> honestly, I hate using ta- terms and labels just like voices and tribes. Uh, liberals and conservatives. So generally speaking, in the culture, uh, a liberal is somebody who uh, leans we call this leaning to the left, but their general view of life is that we are perfectible, we're getting better and better, and that uh, this kind of view of life has uh, all kinds of brightness ahead of it. But the problem for the liberal is that while they talk about tolerance and listening to everybody, they don't always do that. Conservatives, on the other hand, actually believe that there's something called inherent corruption, and we really uh, have a problem within our own natures problem with conservatives sometimes is they always think they're right and again like I just suggested they're trying to ram something down your throat I think that we can have a, a civil dialogue between the two and that's what we try to do all the time and, here and, and I think we do very well at that um, because conversation is different than um, you know a standing pat on, yeah. on your belief and, right. and the only way to understand something is to open and broaden your mind to that's different right. viewpoints and uh, the good thing that we have the great book of Proverbs because yep. it speaks of the need to listen uh, to different points of view. Uh, what does Proverbs say about that? Sure. So uh, I'm going to mention a proverb that I heard all the time growing up. I mean, I'm, if, I, if I didn't hear this every day, I heard it every other day. Better to be thought a fool than to speak up and remove all that. <laughs> Did you hear that one? Yes, when you were uh, a kid? Oh, probably more than I wanted to. <laughs> exactly right. Well, here are some Proverbs. Uh, these come from uh, Proverbs chapters 18 and 19. Uh, here's one from 1813. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. That's Proverbs 18.13. says, An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. 18.17 says that the one who states his case first seems right until the other person comes and examines him. <laughs> and 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you might gain wisdom in the future. I, You know, we talked about this again uh, last couple of weeks. We talked about how the millennials, you know, they have a certain point of view. Us older folks have a certain point of view. And quite frankly, uh, what the committee of students will say to us and what anybody else that's younger will say to us all the time, we just want somebody to walk alongside us. We want a relationship with older folks. We, and, you know, the older folks like us, we need to spend time with them, and you or I are all about that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the amazing thing, Mark, is when, when we're talking about this subject matter right here is seasons change mm-hmm. and and scripture talks candidly about that's how right. um when it comes to principles be rooted like that tree yeah, that's right but when it comes to fashion <laughs> <laughs> if you're not willing to change then you yeah. know old tree you can really just be over there with no leaves on mm-hmm. it pretty much um last question in this first segment is you know we all as christians have responsibility and we should listen to others even if we might disagree. That's right. So so give me some proverb on that. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, let's go all the way back to the First Testament, to the Old Testament again. Uh, idolatry is was a real problem. Of, of course, that's really the problem for all of our lives is the issue of idolatry. 
And in the First Testament, in the Old Testament, idolatry was the primary focus of anti-Yahweh worship, so against the Hebrew God worship. Idolatry always comes with an entourage. Those of us who, who bid us come, you know, come to our side, think about what, join us. And we don't always look at lust uh, with lust at a person, thing, or idea without somebody else in some way saying, come hither, come hither, come join us, you know. And in, and in some way, I think that idolatry, uh, literally Jesus' emphasis uh, not to be in the world but not of it, uh, there are some who cozy up to points of view, ideas, people, and they just think, oh, I just read to this person and I listen to this person, I watch this person all the time. And you and I are going to say to them, do you want to get outside of that? Do you want to listen to anybody else? The other problem, of course, is isolation. And isolation says, I'm just going to stay in my little comfortable box. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. <laughs> and what's Jesus say? Go into all the world. There and it is. And like the talents. That's it. You know, if you just yeah. bury your talents and when Jesus come back and what did you do with your talents and you just go pick up the ones you buried and didn't uh, take the risk or yeah. try to manifest right. the talents from that talent, then you ain't done nothing. I'm going to get you a pulpit in but, here, man. Well, I'm already at my pulpit. <laughs> uh, but it is interesting. Before we go to break, you know, uh, very, very interesting show on RadioNext.TV. And if you don't know and just listen to Dr. Mark's show, we advise you to listen in. Had a very candid conversation on uh, the domestic abuse show that mm. we do. Uh, strong Christian sister in here mm -hmm. last night. Another sister who's strong Christian sister that's a lesbian. Mm-hmm talking about conservative meeting liberal sure. on the radio when we're talking about what abuse is yeah and i'm thinking mm -hmm. we got work to do we'll yeah, be right we back <laughs> you're listening to warp and wolf radio on the cool groove site you are listening to radionext.tv on the cool groove site dr mark echo harold hb bell in the house right now on warp and wolf radio you can check us out every Wednesday morning, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, and I'm, I'm guaranteeing you will learn something. And if you don't learn something, at least you will have something to uh, uh, walk around with and stew and think about. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's you right. know, if you don't want to learn, that's your business. But, <laughs> but you will have something to think about. And that's really what we're trying to do is we um, uh, use the book of Proverbs. You know, we're not throwing religion at you. Mm. We are throwing wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. Which is the first step into mm -hmm. the kingdom. There and, you go. Uh, we're in the uh, first hour, and we have Dr. Daniel Watson coming in in the second hour, and we hope that you stay to listen uh, because uh, we're talking about conservative teaching in academia and the colleges mm -hmm. and universities. And, uh, mm -hmm. uh, man, this is, a, this is a big thing right now, and pretty much. And, and we were describing in the uh, first segment about how conservative and liberal viewpoints are different and one being conservative um, is kind of standing pat on tradition and saying this is how we need to fix what's already here and the liberal um, is, is always inviting you into this change, change, mm -hmm. change, change world. And mm -hmm. I was teasing Dr. Mark on the break and told him I'm a, a liberal conservative. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but as we go into the second segment, uh, we want to cover current life events and uh, what have you been reading, Mark, about people who won't listen to those uh, with whom they disagree? Sure. that's huge right now in our uh, political arena. Oh, my, isn't that the truth? So I was uh, reading something from uh, Dr. Roth, who is the president of Wesleyan University over in uh, the East Coast and New England area. And uh, his comments uh, this week, actually, it was published in the Wall Street Journal. He said that in his New England area, Liberal professors outnumber conservative professors 28 to 1. 
28 to 1. Now, I got a question, and this is for everybody, and this was Roth's point. Now, Roth is a, is a liberal, by the way, he, by his own admission. But he said, we need more conservative voices because we need to hear other voices than the voices we're hearing. So that's a really important, powerful point. If you're only here, if you got 28 to 1, man, yeah. what's up with that? Well, who's, the who's, who's naming those? People, liberals versus conservatives. What was really fascinating to me was that here's a liberal saying these are all liberals. <laughs> yeah, but but you know what I think, Mark, and, and this is kind of getting off point. That's okay. I think that the conservative has now transcended into liberal thinking, forced to go into liberal thinking based on the the, the culture changes and the and the dynamics. And you're still conservative, but if you don't stick up off of that. Then you don't you, you will be totally in the minority if you don't have some type of uh, change in saying, hey, we have to have our, our lenses adjusted a little bit based on what is going on today. So let me since we're a little off topic, that's OK. Yeah. Um, let me tell you, let me tell everybody about what kind of educator I am um, in, in education. You would refer to me as a perennialist. Now, a perennialist is somebody who believes that ancient wisdom, that great ideals uh, happen all the time. So, for instance, if you think about perennial flowers, they're the flowers that keep popping up year after year after year after year. Well, that's the kind of uh, educator I am. I believe in the great ideals that keep popping up every generation, every generation, every generation, because you need structure and framework. And so when we're talking about the great principles, the great ideals, you had a great example of this here just off air when you were talking about the stoplight where if you don't have a stoplight, there's no structure, all you get is change and freedom, people are going to get killed out there, out here on Emerson Way, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there has to be some kind of a structured environment where we're going to say, okay, here are some baseline principles that we're all going to believe in. But yeah, man, is do things change? Well, sure they do. you got to be ready for that, too. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get silly, but I'm thinking about, Mr. Conservative, what about roundabouts? Oh, my no, word. Just, just, no, I'm just saying. No, this the is great. the principle is to make sure that traffic flows without traffic causing flows. havoc. Oh, yeah, exactly. So the, the, the sheer conservative might say, stoplight, stoplight, stoplight. Sure. But a conservative liberal might say. Okay, roundabout. The roundabout. <laughs> there you go. Look at you. There you go. So explain <laughs> the divide between liberals and conservatives mm. in this country, man. Because that's kind of where we are. Because there are some old staunch conservatives that would say, you're not a conservative. Exactly. Oh, they would say that. Definitely. And they have said that to me. Yeah. And they get upset with me because I don't uh, hold some kind of party line. But just here, here's a story. This happened to me this this last week. Now, I have a, uh, lots of liberal friends on social media, and they go in lots of different directions that I disagree with. That's fine. We have conversations, and one of them, one of these conversations popped up behind, uh, behind uh, kind of a closed-door environment, you know, in email setting, where I had an opportunity to interact with my liberal friend on social media based on this personal correspondence. And basically what I did was, and what, what he did was, we were talking about the difference between liberal and conservative. I mentioned this a moment ago where my liberal friends are going to say, we're going to focus on human dignity, which I'm all about human dignity, but they will kind of put to the side human depravity. I'm going to emphasize human depravity, but I need to be wary of the fact that I need to also emphasize human dignity. So these two things, I, I believe, live in tension uh, with each other. So, for instance, my friend, who is all about, you know, let's, let's all talk in community. Well, that's all great, except the question then becomes, are there any voices in the community that are just plain old wrong and are out to hurt people? 
Well, yeah, there are. So we can't just say we just accept everybody and anything. We can't say that. There has to be some structure. Go back to the roundabout idea. Yeah. There has to be some kind of structure that allows this flow without stopping everybody all the time, but without crashing cars, total freedom. I can already tell you're going to do sermon on this roundabout. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was pretty good on the spread. I like that, too. But, but, but as we close this segment out, uh, people think that their opinion or how they feel and, and we it's so funny people if you could hear some of the conversations yes. that we have off air <laughs> that we don't even know we're going to touch inside this mm-hmm. this this structured format uh but people get so upset about why people don't agree with them and i could care less if people don't agree with me like you say if it's a principal issue yeah. um and the way that i have to live my life the way i have to view this world and the way that i say i'm not out trying to hurt somebody spite right. somebody or whatever right. my opinion and my viewpoint is mine my flavor is mine mm. why do people get so upset when people don't agree with them yeah honestly uh, i'm gonna say this on the air and i'm you know people are gonna be upset with me but i'm gonna tell you that if you get all jacked up i don't care if you're liberal conservative progressive uh, preservative i don't care you're left you're right you're gay you're straight you're black or white it doesn't matter to me at the end of the day if you do not have humility if you do not step back and say, you know what, I might, I may, might need to learn something. Yeah. I might need to hear somebody else, listen to another point of view. Then I got, I got to tell you, man, I guess we don't have anything to talk about because you're just going to put me in a box over here. You're not going to like it. And let me tell you something. The whole better you normally comes from outside of you, else mm-hmm. you would already be that better you. And we're going to come right back and talk some more on conservative liberals and how we need to shape our world uh, at the 11 o'clock hour. Dr. Daniel Watson will be in the house and if you want to talk about conservative teachings in the university um, how we need to hold on to principles you do not want to miss that segment uh, you are listening to Warp and Wolf Radio on the Cool Groove site. And the Comenius Institute is why we are here right now every Wednesday 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Dr. Mark Eckel and Harold H.B. Bell and special guests are always in weaving wisdom and knowledge and trying to make some sense of uh, uh, this society that we live in, Dr. Mark. Yeah. This is, you can get a little spicy up there. The conservative liberal thing is like the, the Hatfields and the McCoys almost. Uh, but no, uh, one more time, if we could just introduce Comenius Institute to our listeners and, and some of the great works that you're doing. You bet. So Comenius Uh, is really focused on uh, helping young people, Christian young people coming out of high school, bridging the gap uh, between high school and going into public university where they're going to hear pieces of life and things from different folks, which is great, except uh, what they end up doing is uh, they don't think about how those things are influencing them. So I answer questions, I have dialogue, we have great discussions, uh, we interact with, I even read papers, HB, at, at the college level there and talk with students about what they're dealing with. So it's a really great time. Yeah, you've been a racist too. <laughs> Didn't they call you a racist? Oh my, they called me a racist and a rapist and all kinds of things. You know, that is so funny, you know, especially, you know, just knowing you like I know you, man, the pureness of how you uh, uh, just go about your life, you know, and, and that leads to, yeah. you know, our, our last segment in this first hour before we introduce you to Dr. Daniel Watson, who has joined us now in the studio. It is amazing, man, as Christians, when I read some of the dialogue of Christians. Yeah. And I made the point earlier, you know, when we were talking about domestic abuse and the two mm-hmm. Christian ladies with two different viewpoints, it, yep. it got off of abuse and got into their Christian values. And mm-hmm. as Christians, Mark, uh, we need to demonstrate unity. 
And how do we do it, even if we disagree politically or we disagree socially with some of the issues sure. on, on the table? So two stories, just to kind of highlight the point. Uh, I'm a, a good friend of uh, Charlie Mitchell, who is a church planter out in Baltimore, Maryland. And Charlie was a student of mine, and now we text and uh, uh, talk all the time about different issues that he's facing in Baltimore. Well, one of the things that I also do on the side is I write journal artic articles for peer-reviewed journals. Um, Daniel Watson, of course, here understands peer-reviewed journal articles, the point being that uh, you're interested in getting out there with other academics and talking about these things. Well, Charlie and I came up with this idea of talking about an ethnic theological discipleship, an ethnic theological discipleship, where he was talking about, you know, in the 20th century, the civil rights movement literally came out of the Christian church. It came out of Christian theology. But he said, now in the 21st century, we've really lost that kind of emphasis uh, in the black church. So we're going to actually write an article about this. Marvin uh, is a PhD student that I'm helping guide through uh, his PhD dissertation, and he's focusing his research on Ferguson, specifically uh, what happened in Ferguson, uh, Missouri. But uh, what he's interested in is how to uh, understand how pastors should respond to this. Now, my job as a PhD uh, dissertation uh, guide is not to critique his approach or his conclusions, but to help him do good research which strives to eliminate bias in the research. So, what I'm suggesting by these two stories in answer to the question is, you got to be there with folks, even though we may or may not, we might have different points of view, as you suggested earlier, we might have different flavors coming into a different, uh, different kinds of discussion. But what's my job as a white man with my black brothers is to reach out, be intentional, and to engage and help and come alongside, and they too are broadening and enlarging my world, and I think that's where that goes. Yeah, and that's a great segue to the next question, and, and why is it necessary to hear conservative African-American voices um, in the church and culture? Because uh, candidly, I might, you know, just say as an African-American, um, the, the, the rule of oppression has always made us seem to think, um, how do we get out of this discontinued cycle of what mm. we know as religion in America sure. to, to make it fit some of the things that have been passed down. Right. So, so how we do that? So I, one of the things I, I'll just mention just comes off the top of my head, actually, as I'm thinking about this is, uh, you know, if you listen to NPR and involved in public radio or public television, you probably know the name Tavis Smiley. Uh, he's all over the place, and he's a, a great uh, progenitor of progressive thought. But I'm going to list a whole slew of folks that if you list, only listen to NPR, you probably never heard these names before, but you ought to know who they are. They are all conservative thinkers, and they are all people of color. So here we go. Mia Love uh, is a U.S. House representative from Utah, was elected with a supermajority in 2014. Thomas Sowell who's a prolific writer, just uh, put down his pen at the age of 87, uh, one of the great uh, academics of this last generation. Alveda King is the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and she is an avid pro-life defender. Uh, Jason Riley uh, is a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, editorial writer for the Wall Street Journal, uh, and he's an African-American man who speaks out in a conservative voice. Walter Williams, distinguished professor of econ at George Mason. Star Parker, who literally uh, brought herself out of welfare uh, and is now a great conservative columnist. Dr. Ben Carson, Deneed Morelli. Uh, Tim Scott represents South Carolina in the U.S. Senate. Uh, here's a conservative black man who's representing in South Carolina. That's unheard of, but he's a conservative, and I think that's important to say. And last but not least, H.B., 
Here's a conservative voice that we don't think about as being conservative, but Dr. Condoleezza Rice, and what a wonderful woman she has been uh, to the uh, nation of the United States, a wonderful African-American woman who has a tr strong conservative voice. Those are just a few of the voices that people ought to listen to. Interesting. Yeah. You know, that's interesting, that list of names you mentioned there, Dr. Mark. <laughs> you know, because liberal African-American ministers and preachers might uh, cringe when some of those names are mentioned. Yeah. And here's what I found out before we go to the break. Yeah. The more conservative the African-American, the closer they are to being accepted by the quote-unquote established conservative mm. thinking. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Yeah, that's a thought. I'm going to come back and find out more and get in <laughs> deep with it. Dr. Daniel Watson's looking at me like he's ready to jump on me over here. No, I'm just, no. Dr. Watson, you'd have, you gotta be, you'd be all right after about the next hour when you understand HB. I'm you know, keeping it real 100%. Uh, but, but that is a great, great list of people who have done some amazing things and you know, trying to bridge a gap. And that's, that's really right. what we need to do. That's what to we're talking about. Yep. Um, in this. Um, Christians that demonstrate unifying that voice, right. Mark, before we go to break. Just me. real quick, I'll just say there needs to be intentionality. You need to actually decide to do this and then go do it. You need to listen. You need to read. You need to create opportunities. You need to maintain principles without rancor. Uh, think about all of the uh, African-American voices we've had on this show specifically. Over half of our guests have been African-American. That's very intentional. Uh, on our board at Cominius, we have five board members, two of whom are African-American. Very intentional to all of this. One of whom sits right to my left. Thank you very much. A proud board member of Cominius. <laughs> and as we go on break, I, you know, let's throw the question out there. Are labels good or bad for us trying to unify this culture Not that we live in? Not really. You are listening to <laughs> Warp and Wolf Radio on the Cool Groove site. You're listening to RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. This is Warp and Wolf Radio. You hear us every Wednesday from 10 until noon. And we are sponsored by the Cominius Institute, where, where we are bridging uh, for Christian young people coming out of high school into public university an opportunity to think Christianly all the way through their college years. And in studio today, we have Dr. Daniel Watson. We're really grateful to have him and his presence here. Uh, he is a teacher of Old Testament and the, the language of Hebrew. Uh, Dr. Watson, thanks so much for being with us today. Well, good morning to you and to all of our listeners, uh, men and brethren. And yep. Cistern, so, <laughs> there uh, you go. good to be here. Well, we're grateful uh, not just for your time and your talent and your expertise and what we're going to talk about, uh, but tell us a little bit about yourself, your life experiences, your church, and your work, uh, actually, in uh, Old Testament uh, teaching as well as Hebrew. Oh, sure. I'd be glad to. Uh, well, I am a uh, happy and proud uh, Circle City native, so I was born, raised here in Indianapolis, and a uh, graduate of North Central High School, that's where I went. Um, kind of a, and of course, being an avid basketball fan, who isn't here in Indiana? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's right. the one state religion we're allowed to have here, pretty <laughs> there much, you go. You know, is basketball. <laughs> uh, so now whenever I, you know, run by, you know, Ben Davis High School, I kind of growl a little bit, you know, <laughs> my comings and goings, because, you know, the boys' squad was kind of primed to take the state title this year, but, you know, they tripped over Ben D in the regional uh, mm. semifinals, so it's like, eh. Okay. Um, but yeah, but I uh, grew up here in Indianapolis, and, uh, and being a PK, pastor's kid, as we say in church culture, I uh, came to know the Lord at a very early age, uh, before I started first grade. And uh, so he and I have been on this journey together now for over uh, 40 years, and it's been a rather interesting journey at times, uh, you know, share of ups and downs, and mm. share of questions, and 
you know, sometimes, you know, it's on the mountaintop and, you know, and praise the Lord and so forth. And other times you're kind of, you know, on the, the heap there with Job and kind of saying, okay, you know, I'm waiting for that whirlwind to show up because I, you know, <laughs> got some things going on here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, I came to know the Lord in an early age, and, and, and apparently, at least in the judgment of my parents, seemed to manifest some gift or capability for Bible teaching. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Dad kind of started me out teaching younger kids in Sunday school when I was 12 years old and so forth. So, uh, And he, uh, you know, he sort of had some instinct for recognizing that kind of talent, having pastored here in Indianapolis for over 30 years, 33 mm-hmm. years, wow. uh, down there on 16th Street, just a few blocks north of uh, the old Bush Stadium there where the Indians uh, oh, used okay. to play down there on Riverside Drive there. Um, so, but anyway, after graduating from North Central, <coughs> uh, from there I went on to uh, Liberty University. So that's where I did my undergrad and got my degree there in biblical studies. Uh, interesting to note, if I'm not mistaken, that apparently uh, I guess the president is the, the commencement speaker there. That's right. This year. At Liberty University, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, which is not that surprising. You know, Jerry Jr., I think, was uh, who now runs the university. Mm-hmm. He's in his 10th year now as president and chancellor. Um, but he was one of the first, I think, more prominent evangelical leaders to endorse mm-hmm. uh, Trump last year and then the campaign, so not surprising. So President, so the President Trump, he'll be the second sitting president, if I'm not mistaken, to, uh, to speak as uh, for commencement there. Mm. The first one was uh, Bush 41 back in 1990. Mm. Um, so, you know, did my undergrad at Liberty there, and then from there went to uh, Grace Theological Seminary uh, for uh, do my seminary work and got a Master of Theology in Old Testament there. And I was kind of fortunate, I suppose, like you, to be kind of part of sort of the old school uh, curriculum. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the questions we'll get into is you know, the importance of the biblical languages, uh, certainly. And, uh, yeah, so it was back then it was, hey, you know, if you want an MDiv in this institution, you know, you're going to do your three years of Greek and two years of Hebrew and, you know, and like it. That's right. Or at least make us believe that you do. That <laughs> That's you know, right. So. <laughs> uh, so, so I was very fortunate to, to be part of that. So I graduated there. And my last year, most of my last year of studies, because I was one of the last THM or Master of Theology graduates hmm. that they had there because they discontinued the program shortly after I graduated. But uh, during that last year in which you're kind of doing more advanced study in your chosen field mm-hmm. um, of interest, uh, was with Martin Abegg, who is a notable name in Dead Sea Scrolls mm-hmm. study and research. So uh, as I was uh, finishing that up, he told me, okay, well, what are you planning? What do you want to do? And I'm thinking, well, I think I'd like to have a career in you know, an Old Testament scholarship. Uh, I think my real interest in that had been peaked during my Liberty days. Uh, one time, I think it was my junior year, and they had a representative from Chosen People Ministries, Messianic mm. Jewish Ministry, right. uh, there to speak to on the t- on the subject of Christ and the Passover, mm. and how that foreshadows so many of the elements that we see in the Passover uh, celebration foreshadows and points forward to Jesus and His person, and His work, and so that's kind of what really sort of wow, a lot of interesting stuff in the Old Testament. Yeah, how about that? And you know, and since it is like more than three fourths of the Bible, maybe it might be, <laughs> it might be an area that I might want to you know you kind of poke around in there. So. So when I explained that to Dr. Abegg, it's like, okay, well, if that's what you're thinking, yeah, I know a place you might want to check out for your doctorate. And he pointed me in the direction of Hebrew Union College over in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. Jewish Institute of Religion, from which he had recently graduated. And uh, so that's where I wound up going uh, for my doctoral studies. Mm-hmm. And I was in residence there from, uh, for about seven years and finished my dissertation a little thereafter. Uh, and uh, basically did my doctorate there in uh, Bible and Ancient Near East, which generally encompasses about three areas of study, biblical studies, of course, and then also Semitic languages, which is the study of all those other languages to which Hebrew is related, Aramaic, Arabic, Akkadian, so forth. 
and then also ancient narration history, kind of getting an understanding of the civilizations of the Old Testament world right. and uh, sort of the relationship, their impact to ancient Israel. Uh, so survived that gauntlet, and shortly before I graduated, I was uh, contacted by uh, Dr. John Lillis, who was formerly provost at Cornerstone, but had just taken a post as the dean of uh, Bethel Seminary out in San Diego in Southern California, which is the Divinity School at Bethel University in St. Paul. And, uh, and he said to me, well, you know, uh, you know, I've got uh, five resident full-time faculty members out here since we're kind of a West Coast satellite site. But our Old Testament guy, Ronald Youngblood, has decided that it's, it's time for him to kind of hang it up and go fishing. Okay. <laughs> and as I looked around the faculty, it occurred to me that, you know, I got a bunch of boring white guys here. All <laughs> Which, you know, I'm one of them. So, yeah, you know, I, you know, I know a boring white guy when I see one. Um, so, yeah, so we got a bunch of boring white guys here, and we're out here in one of the most diverse cities, <laughs> mm -hmm. San Diego, mm -hmm. in the country. So, let's see if we can add a little color of soul to this. So, I've you know, been looking around trying to find, you know, intentionally trying to find, you know, a qualified minority to, kinda, right. you know, bring a little, little change here uh, to the faculty. And uh, one of your former teachers at Grace said, well, I might want to talk to you, so it'll be a rough gig for you, you know. Southern California, San Diego. <laughs> you know, it'll tend to be an average temperature of about 70, 75 degrees year-round, you know, beach 20 <laughs> minutes away. Mm. But, uh, you know, we all have to do our share of suffering for Jesus. So, <laughs> uh, you know, if you're, if you're interested, you mm. know, that. so, that's, so that's how I went up there. And I did, uh, you know, a few years out there. And then uh, after that, um, I decided to make a change and came to Kansas City uh, to a Southern Baptist school there, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, so I spent uh, the past uh, few years there, you know, teaching Old Testament there. And my reason for making the switch is that they were starting up a Ph.D. program in Bible. They were the only, at that time, Southern Baptist uh, seminary that didn't have one. So mm -hmm. I said, so here's a kind of an opportunity to get on, on, a, on a startup on, on right. the ground floor. And, uh, you know, teach some subjects that I wouldn't necessarily get a chance to teach out of Bethel in terms of, kind of really using some of my doctoral studies. Um, so that's how I wound up there, and uh, yeah, I had a, had a great time uh, out there, and uh, really enjoyed it. Southern Baptists are, they've come a long way, one <laughs> might say, because uh, they've had their share, needless to say, of challenges with regard to, uh, you know, race relations and developing diversity. Um, in fact, like at Bethel, just as I was the first minority uh, to be full-time out there at Bethel Seminary San Diego, uh, I was also the first African-American that they mm -hmm. had at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary as a mm -hmm. full-time resident faculty member. They'd had several adjuncts, but I was the first uh, one they'd had full-time resident. So um, so that made uh, life a bit interesting. But uh, one of the things I think that I really kind of appreciated uh, about both places, and particularly I think probably Midwestern, is that they took note of the fact that, you know, this is good. You know, this is a nice step forward That's right. for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, without necessarily making it a thing, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't, oh, here's our, here's our black brother, you yes. know, here. Um, and, you know, sometimes you do occasionally have to remind people that, you know, well, I'm actually the professor of, of Hebrew and Old Testament. Not, <laughs> That's right. Not all things, you know, <coughs> black or Afro related. Mm -hmm. well, did you hear what, hear, did you hear what Farrakhan said his last, well, what do you think of that? And like, uh, uh, no <laughs> um, yeah, so sometimes you do kind of have to kind of keep the focus on that. I think one of the highest compliments that was ever paid to uh, a white man by a black man uh, came from the mouth of Frederick Douglass. Uh, something that he said about Lincoln. Mm. And he said, you know, Lincoln, President Lincoln, is probably the first white man with whom I've spent more than five minutes 
who did not constantly remind me that I am a Negro. Mm. Mm. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, the, and sometimes the reminders can be, you know, well, oh, we're so glad to have you know. mm. But, you know, it's kind of like, okay, you know, yeah. I get it. You know, you, you, know, you, you know, you don't go around in a white hood. You think I'm okay. And then, you know, <laughs> I'm your brother in Christ and so forth. And, okay, that's it. Okay, we're good. Okay. <laughs> we have to, don't have to keep eating it. Um, so, but anyway, after doing my time there at uh, Midwestern, um, uh, basically we had some situations happen at home. Both parents have passed away and I'm now the uh, resident homeowner. So that was a one factor. And there was, and there was also a regime change there uh, that led to some changes in the faculty lineup. So that's kind of how I want it back here in Indianapolis. Uh, but I've been uh, doing some teaching and adjunct work since. I uh, taught a little bit for Grace College here at the Indianapolis Extension uh, last year and have been engaged uh, by Crossroads and a new seminary called Indianapolis Theological Seminary to uh, teach their Hebrew course this coming school year. So Good. Uh, Those are great things. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so it kind of uh, keeps me off the bench, so to speak, a little bit and keeps me engaged, and I enjoy that. But uh, being home has been uh, good. I, I love Indianapolis, and I'd be perfectly content to, you know, if Crossroads or ITS could eventually figure out some way to have me there more or less full-time enough to pay the bills. Yes. Um, yeah, I'd be perfectly content to stay here with the people of Indianapolis, you know, for the rest of my yeah. uh, academic career. And uh, my home church is here, uh, Greater Northwest Baptist Church up there on the northwest side there. Uh, where Pastor Claude Robson was the pastor until recently, just retired a couple years ago. Uh, Reverend Corey Rogers is now the senior pastor there. Um, so it's been great to be back home and to reconnect with them. And, hmm. uh, and uh, during the time after Pastor Robson retired and before Pastor Rogers was called, uh, basically I did the Wednesday night Bible teaching uh, there. Um, so that's kind of my role there pretty much is as a teaching pastor and kind of a scholar in residence. And, Good. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I love uh, being with them there. And so it's mm. been your comments early on uh, when you were first talking about your, your dad, uh, tell us a little bit about what kind of an influence he had on your life. I mean, you gave us some general ideas there, mm -hmm. but what specific ways do you think that he uh, actively discipled uh, you in the process of, of becoming who you are, honestly? Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, uh, probably if you were asked my mother, um, and you would, let's say, okay, we have four sons, you know, one of whom has really been sort of actively engaged in the Lord's work. And the other three, eh, okay, have kind of done their own thing, uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad, as they say. And if you were to ask my mother, okay, what is the reason for that difference? Um, she would say that, well, probably, you know, his father spent more time with Danny, as she liked to call me, spent more time with him, really, than with the other three. Mm. Because as a young pastor kind of coming out there, uh, to Indianapolis from Cedarville, uh, Ohio, and I kind of mentioned, you know, the fact that I've had the privilege of, you know, being some first mm -hmm. in the course of my journey. Well, that was kind of a chip off the old block in some respects because uh, it's likely that Dad may well have been uh, the first African American graduate from Cedarville College as mm -hmm. it was at that time mm -hmm. in the late yep. 50s. Um, but you know, he had enough respect and standing from his classmates by his senior year that they had voted him both vice president and chaplain of the wow. class. Wow, nice. Uh, which you can see there in the yearbook when you, when you look at it. Mm. Um, but, you know, being kind of a young, you know, pastor on fire there in his 30s, um, you know, he made the mistake, I think, that maybe a lot of pastors tend to make of going to save the world, save the city of Indianapolis, and uh, my family's probably in there somewhere. Mm. You know, at least that's my mother's take on it. So, um, 
so may probably he did spend some time with me in that regard in terms of sort of schooling me a little bit in the things of the Lord that perhaps maybe uh, my brothers might have missed out on mm. in some respects. And okay. so certainly that uh, had a lot to do with it. And kind of receiving, I guess, my gift a bit early, certainly he was a big encouragement in that. Mm. And kind of finding me to kind of be the likely heir to his spiritual legacy, you know. And sure. You know, those car rides home from practice or whatever, from school, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, he would just engage me in conversation or use me as a sounding board, you know, to talk about, you know, some things that are going on at the church or then later when he became interim president of what is now Crossroads. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of banging his head against the wall about, you know, what do we live, how do we do about this? How do I handle the situation with this fact? I remember, you know, he, I'd be in the car, you know, and I'm just, you know, you know, sipping my Coke, whatever. But, you know, I said, well, there's something you want, might want to think about, son. I could do this, but if I did, you know. <laughs> so those kinds of conversations... In addition, of course, to just the routine things that father and dad should do in terms yeah. of playing ball, you know, go yeah. out and playing catch and so forth, uh, those things had a lot to do with it. Hmm. And, um, and certainly he had a lot of good advice for me about as you're going into academia, you know, you know, remember that, you know, however much you learn, there's a difference between knowledge mm-hmm. and wisdom mm-hmm. and that you always want to, you know, you know stick with the book. Yeah. And stand on the book. I mean, there you go. Those two things that he repeated to me, you know, constantly. Over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Dr. Daniel Watson, and he is uh, Old Testament professor, Hebrew language prof. We're really glad to have him in studio here today. We're going to take a musical break. You are listening to Radio Next.TV at the Cool Groove site. This is Warp and Woof Radio every Wednesday from 10 until noon. We will be right back. You are listening to Radio Next.TV at the Cool Groove site. This is Warp and Woof Radio. We come to you every, every Wednesday from 10 until noon. And our focus on our show is from Titus chapter 3, the three great commands there, do good, do good, do good. Our focus is always to find folks in Indianapolis and the surrounding areas that are doing good in the community and demonstrating Christ-likeness in whatever vocation, whatever area uh, that they are engaged with. And this week we have uh, Dr. Daniel Watson, who is here, who is an Old Testament professor, also a teacher of languages, specifically the Hebrew language, and maybe a little Ukaritic and uh, Aramaic in there. We could throw a few of those in there as well. Uh, But uh, Dr. Watson is here, and we are going to be discussing three major issues today. Uh, We'll see if we even get past the first one. Uh, But the first one is uh, very important, I think, in our culture today, where there is such polarity, there is such division in the uh, between people in the academy specifically with all of the uh, upheaval for instance whenever you have a conservative speaker come in let's say for instance they get shouted down or uh, carted off to a different building so they can be heard perhaps on a radio broadcast and instead of having their views actually heard uh, overall and then of course uh, you know coming out of the 60s with Berkeley and so on the great free- freedom of speech uh, emphasis not so free to to give speech uh, there now so there's a great problem I think we find in the culture generally right now in liberal and conservative ideas in the academy. And so I've asked uh, Dr. Watson to come in and and specifically uh, talk about this one question. Why is there a need for conservative evangelical African Americans in the academy today? Dr. Watson, how do you respond to that? Uh, Well, I think basically it kind of comes down to at least a couple of reasons I can think of just right off the top of my head. one just is just the need for uh, different viewpoints to get somewhere close to the truth, mm. as they say. Um, 
when it comes to the political news, I always like to tell people or tell my students that, well, here's what you do. If you want to get one side of the discussion, you read the Washington Post. And then if you want to get the other side, you read the Washington Times. There you go. Take both what they say, divide that by half, and you might get something hopefully somewhere close to the truth. There you go. But if you're listening to or hearing only one side, then it becomes very easy to define uh, truth solely in terms of uh, sort of a, a mutual admiration society of thought. Mm. Oh, mm. I congratulate you for being, you know, level-headed and smart enough to th think the same way I do. Mm -hmm. And it also becomes easier, I think, under those circumstances, if you're not careful, um, to, uh, for lack of a better expression, just kind of demonize the other side because, mm. oh, well, clearly, you know, anyone who doesn't share this viewpoint is not, you know, not even worth considering, you know. Right. So why should they be allowed, you know, why should they be granted free speech, you know, franchise when clearly they're, they're so extreme and outside the pale of what of how reasonable people think. Right. And you discover that, well, here's a reasonable person who actually disagrees with you. And, <laughs> it's, <laughs> and it's sort of, oh, gee, I th you got a point there. Yeah. Um, so that's what, so certainly, you know, the motto of the country, you know, used to be, the official motto used to be e pluribus unum, you know, out of the many, one. Mm. So you need the many, I think, to have a strong and good one, mm. as opposed to sort of a flat, you know, monolithic, and I think ultimately weaker Yes. one. Uh, it's also important, I think, in terms of, particularly in the faculty administrative positions, for students to be aware that, oh, yes, there are intelligent and reasonable and informed conservative voices out there whose ideas are worth considering, because oddly enough, you know, no, there are actually some students who might actually think the same way, but they're <laughs> afraid to speak up and say so, Yes, because you know, so far the power people seem to be on the other side of the discussion. Right. Uh, one of my favorite anecdotes in this regard is a story that Philip Johnson tells in one of his books. Philip Johnson, law professor, longtime law professor out at UC Berkeley, uh, gained some notoriety in the 90s and the previous decade for debating, you know, uh, Richard Dawkins and the others on <laughs> the evolution issue. But in one of his books, uh, he relates the anecdote uh, about what's known as Harder's Principle. And apparently it was a situation where over in Germany, uh, I guess an astronomy teacher was taking his students out to the field to kind of look at the stars and show some constellations. And so he gets out and he sets up his telescope, you know, and that, okay, now if you look over here, you will see, you know, this constellation, this star cluster, I saw, yeah, okay. And so, okay, so he calls the first student up, okay, look at the telescope, you see it over there? And he said, right over there, yeah? And the student's like, uh, no, sir, I, I don't, I don't see it, you know. And the professor's like, don't cough! What do you mean you don't see it? It's not out there. What's it? You know. And he'll just berates the student mercilessly, you know, and says, what are you doing in this classroom? And so, yeah, here, you know, next student, here. Now, come, look, you see it over there, right? And the student peers through the telescope and he's like, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, there it is. I, hey, you know, right there, you know. And so forth with the next student, the next student, the next student, until we get to the last student who apparently wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and the last student comes up, and he looks through the telescope, and he's like, uh, no, sir, I don't see the constellation you're talking about. That's right over there. I said, oh, no, sir, I'm sorry, I don't see it. And then finally, for the first time, the student pushes the student, pushes the student aside, and he says, here, I'll show you. And for the first time now, the professor himself actually looks through the telescope. And he looks, 
And he looks again, and his mouth falls open, and it's then that he realizes that indeed the student couldn't see it, hadn't seen it, and that none of the students had seen it or could have, because somehow, in his absent-minded professor or whatever, he had forgotten to remove the lens from the telescope <laughs> when he set it up. <laughs> Take off the lens cap. <laughs> Which raises the obvious question, well, if that was the case, then why did all these other students say that they had seen the yes. thing that they said was there when, in point of fact, there was no way they could have seen it? Yes. Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe what happened to the first student <laughs> might have had something to do with it. Yes. And who wants to be, you know, put on the outside or, oh, you know, you're an idiot or, you're, you know, hey, clearly you, you know. Yeah, and a lot of our students can feel that way mm. when there was a situation where one side seemed to have a monopoly in the discussion. And this, of course, for conservative or liberal. Yes. And so I think in the best tradition of higher education, you want to create that forum where, it's, where people are comfortable being honest about what they think mm -hmm. and sharing it in an open and respectful, and hey, look, I'm not trying to put anybody down or, you know, uh, you know jump on anybody, but I just don't see the point that you're making, could you, you know, help me out here? What's, mm. you know, you need to be able to create that kind of uh, atmosphere uh, in a forum. And having uh, conservative evangelicals present, uh, certainly in a present time, where the general worldview, Milu, and mm. atmosphere seems to be very much contra mm -hmm. that, uh, I think it's important. You know, it's important for students certainly to see that, oh, well, it's not just me. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this respected professor who also thinks along those lines. There's this dean who has said something somewhere. Oh, you know, here's an outside speaker comes in who, who's got pretty good credentials and, mm. you know, says what I've always thought but have, haven't really felt comfortable saying out loud. You know. Yeah, how about that? This week I was mentioning this in our first hour that uh, Dr. Roth, who's the president of Wesleyan University in the uh, New England states, uh, was saying, this was actually a, a published article, he's a leftist, a liberal, uh, who he was saying that 28 to 1 liberals outnumber conservatives in that area of the country, New England. 28 to 1. Now he's, here's a liberal saying, we have too many liberals, we need more conservatives. Uh, and you're suggesting that that's exactly right. I mean, we have to hear different kinds of voices. How, how important is it to have African-American conservative voices invested in the university setting? Is, is that uh, too far a stretch? Am I trying to make this just an ethnic, ethnic thing? But why, why is it, do you think, that, that African-American conservatives need to have a voice there as well? Mm -hmm. um, well, again, kind of for the larger the same reason, because that sort of dearth of good conservative voices can be even more pronounced at times within the African-American community, as you kind of kind of alluded to uh, in the previous uh, hour there, your conversation. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of like, hey, you know, here's a, you know, an African-American who's, you know, holds a conservative viewpoint. Yeah, and I saw a unicorn in the forest the other day. What's your point? You know, I mean, you know, it, it can be kind of mm -hmm. that same sort of rare thing um, hmm. where, and sometimes, you know, Sometimes conservatives within the African-American community can sometimes almost be looked upon as being kind of like, oh, well, we're race traitors. Mm. Because, you know, clearly, you know, if you were with the, if you were down with the cause, you know, mm -hmm. with the brothers and so forth, you would be on the liberal side of things, you know, politically, social, politically. Mm -hmm. And it's always 
somewhat amusing to me a little bit because there is a sense in which the African American American community can be a little social politically schizophrenic mm. in that when it comes to who they vote for in public office, you know, it's almost, you know, okay, yep, you know, we're with the blue guys, you know, mm-hmm. we're with, you know, the Democrats. And yet when you talk to them about their values and the things that matter to them, mm-hmm. that seems to be more reflective of okay, more on the red or conservative side mm-hmm. of the line. You know, mom and dad, you know, used to, you know, have an awful lot. You know, they, of course, they were ardently pro-life. And, boy, they used to, you know, kind of get on their hobby horse about that whenever they heard, uh, you know, a, a court decision saying that, oh, yes, you know, partial birth abortion is okay, da-da-da-da. But then, you know, in November, they always vote for the pro-choice candidate mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, it's sort of, okay. And, of course, you know, to be fair, there are a lot of issues, obviously, that you sure, think about when of you say about who to vote for. But I think sometimes the African-American community does kind of suffer from a little bit of that schizophrenia of, okay, on on the social, cultural issues, definitely we're more on conservative, church-going, God-fearing folk. But on the more political and economic issues, you can't trust those Republicans. Or mm-hmm. you can't trust you know, anyone who styles themselves political conservative. Mm-hmm. So there is that tug there. And so, again, there is a need for them to see and be reassured <laughs> yes. okay, that if you're on the social, political side of the line, conservatively in that regard that it's okay Mm. you know you're not undoing the work of dr king or you're not you know undermining you know what rosa Parks stood for or what have you yes Um, so yeah that's yeah that that diversity of viewpoint within the african-american community i think very important uh, develop it and have it no. Thanks for your comments on that. I know that uh, our listeners will have different approaches and different points of view on that particular topic and mm-hmm. subject area, but uh, nonetheless, it's, you know, maybe sets us up for another time on the radio sometime down the road. That would be wonderful as well. But here's, here's the next question, and because I, I really wanted to, uh, at some point, get into what you actually do as a professor. Uh, what are the benefits of learning biblical language? Uh, the languages, and why is the study of languages important for the church? So that's a kind of a two-prong uh, question. Mm-hmm. Benefits of learning be- biblical languages, and then why why would this be important for the church at large? Hmm. Yes, and as you might guess, as a teacher in higher theological education, um, that's one that I encounter from time to time, you know, uh, whether in conversations with members in the pew, Though, oddly enough, I don't get that there quite as much as you might imagine, because what I found is that, you know, when you do kind of discuss these things in a Bible study, and they're, they're usually fascinated by it. It's mm. like, ooh, oh, well, tell me more. Hmm. Um, the student, on the other hand, who just wants to kind of get through and get his degree, and hey, and dude, don't bother me, just, you know, let me get to the preaching class, whatever. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, them you kind of have to sit down with, and okay, let's talk about that studying to be, you know, you know, Approved a workman who need not to be ashamed, and so yeah. What I tell students is that look, whatever you want to do, you never want to take your English Bible away from the people, right? Or give the idea that you know, unless you know Aleph, Bait, Gimel, so forth, that uh, well, you can't really understand the Bible. But remember that you're called to be a preacher, you're called to be a teacher, mm. a leader in the church. You need to have a deep well to draw from, right? In expounding and applying biblical truth and oddly enough it turns out that the bible wasn't written in english originally <laughs> it was written in hebrew it was written in aramaic it was written in greek during the renaissance days you know 
when the uh, humanist movement, not the secular humanist movement, but the healthy humanist movement, as I like to call it, mm-hmm. arose. You know, one of their rallying cries was "Ad fontes" to the sources. Mm-hmm. That was important for them. It's probably important in divinity studies and theological studies as well. I would mm. say. Yeah, exactly. And so here's why I tell students: Okay, the difference between studying your Bible in in English for you as a preacher teacher versus studying it in Hebrew or Greek. It's the difference between watching the Super Bowl or the NBA playoffs, right? That's what's going on. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you who I'm rooting for. I haven't made up my mind yet. <laughs> but, you know, the difference is between, you know, watching, you know, LeBron or Steph Curry and those guys there, between watching them on a good, reliable, old-fashioned black-and-white TV, you know, the big box type that you had to lug up the stairs, you know, when you're moving in, watching it on that versus when you're working with the languages, watching it on, you know, a 50-inch, maybe 60-inch, 4K, ultra-high-def, you know, with nice surround sound, the whole bit. Not to mention color. Yeah, and the color. color. (laughs) That that helps, (laughs) Um, You will see the same things. You will just see them much more vividly and more powerfully, Mm. perhaps, than the English translation, you know, can realistically bring forth. Mm. So, for example, in John chapter 10, where Jesus is giving, you know, the Good Shepherd discourse, you know, I am the Good Shepherd, you know. You know, in the Greek text, ego eimi, hakalos hapoemas. Okay. Now, you know, look at your English text, you say, I'm the Good Shepherd. Right, got it. Jesus is the one I can trust, Psalm 23 and all that. Okay. But when you look at it in the Greek text there, you see something that, as a student, as a teacher, preacher, you're not going to see in English. Because the Greek student, hopefully, has learned that when you want to say the good shepherd, there are two different ways you can do that in Greek. You can use one construction where you use the the, and then the adjective, and then the noun. Or you can use an alternative construction where you have the the, and then the noun, and the followed by the adjective the shepherd, the good one, literally. And the difference between the two is that that second, that second construction is emphatic mm. and, is, and usually designed to call attention to or something by way of contrast. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is saying there, are little, saying there literally, I am the shepherd, the good one. Mm-hmm. And even the first part of that grammatical construction, the ego, mm-hmm. is an emphatic of the me, mm-hmm. and that is I, I am, the good shepherd, sure. the good one. Yeah. And so then it kind of picture interest. Okay, well, why when he could have used the other ordinary one, does he use the extraordinary one? Mm-hmm. And then when you look at the surrounding context, which is always important, you know, in your, in your Bible study, and you know, and you remember that he's been talking about, oh yes, robbers and thieves, and you know, the hirelings who are just in it for the buck then it becomes clear that, okay, he, he wants to draw an emphasis, a contrast mm-hmm. here, that, that he is the one mm-hmm. who is the real shepherd, the true shepherd they can trust, and it, in contrast to sort of the pretenders and the bad people who are yeah. out there. Okay, again, that's something that, you know, if you're paying attention, you'll see in Greek that your English translation probably is going to be able to bring out. Mm. So that's what I mean when I talk about kind of seeing it in black and white. Yeah, you're kind of seeing the same things, mm. but here you're seeing it a little more vividly and really, okay, that's something I need to emphasize really kind of hit hard. Here mm-hmm. in the 
So we're talking about something very very deep in a sense that, you know, a lot of people aren't really interested in languages per mm -hmm. se these days, uh, unless it's their own, of course. Uh, but, but let's take it to the next level then. Obviously, you gave a tremendous example of why this isn't so important and a great illustration, black, white, color. But now, why is this important for the future of the church? Why should the church be at all interested in sending its men and women away to learn the languages for the future of the church? Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of sort of what you might call kind of the general answer, and then the one that's more specific in terms of the health of the church. Um, the general answer is that your clergy are going to be, in a sense, the professional vocational people of the faith community. And generally, it's a good idea for those people to be trained uh, in what they're going to be doing. Um, if you were going to the dentist to have a root canal done, and you know, said, "Hey, so uh, just uh, I don't need to see any of your diplomas or anything I hear on the wall. Just out of curiosity, you know, where did you where did you learn your dentistry? Yeah. Well, I took this online course, you know, <laughs> you, know, you, know you know, dental uh -huh. appreciation course, and uh, yeah, you know, they had some pretty nifty diagrams on there. So yeah, I just one of those. It's like, uh -huh. okay, yeah, I don't think my insurance covers this, so <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah. Mm. So, and I think probably, you know, we hear a lot about about ministry malpractice. Yeah, well, okay." Putting a priority on making sure that they're mm. adequately trained, properly trained, mm -hmm. certainly would help. So I think, um, you know, if you kind of look at the ministry in that sense, well, we send our people to school, doctors to school, to med school to be prepared. There we it send is. our lawyers, you know, to, uh, hey, you know, I'm on trial here for second degree murder. You know, I don't want the guy who, you know, did the correspondence course. You know, I want, <laughs> right. you know, the guy who went to IU School of Law or what have mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the same thing, you know, and if we're talking about some of the most important issues that we deal with in both time and eternity, it helps to have, you know, someone who studied and prepared and trained themselves for mm -hmm. that. And uh, the first uh, sermon that I preached in chapel at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary was from Ezra 7. Mm. And essentially my bottom line about, you know, what is your seminary education about? Well, your seminary education is about becoming a prepared person mm -hmm. for a prepared work. Mm -hmm. and, and another touch of Dad's influence on me, he always used to tell me that God's call to serve is God's call mm. to prepare. Yeah. And this also kind of goes back to the question of why there need to be conservative voices, yeah, certainly in higher theological education, mm -hmm. because one of the things, and understandably, that a lot of churches worry about is, oh, you'll go off to seminary, you'll lose your fire, or you're going to learn a bunch of stuff that's going to make you question and doubt the authority of the scriptures and so forth. Yeah, so yeah, you need people who are settled in their convictions on that to be there to kind of reassure them that, yes... You can send him off to us as someone who's on fire for Jesus. He's not going to come back as a heretic mm -hmm. okay, or an apostate. Yes. And particularly within the black church, I think that's really been an issue because uh, one observation that Dad used to make is that, you know, in his perception when he was interim president of what is now Crossroads, you know, in his perception, he said, you know, I think, son, that we're probably, you know, the African-American church, we tend to be in terms of promoting and valuing higher theological education for those of our young people who are called to ministry. We're about, he says, I think about 10 years behind our white counterparts mm. in that regard. And mm. we really need to have a push for it. And, of course, when he would go out to kind of promote the school, you know, you know, be a church bank or whatever, and he's talking to the senior pastor and say, yeah, i got a bunch of young ministers here, you know, and I'm schooling them here. And I said, well, you know, we have this, this place over here called, you know, Baptist Bible College, as it was at that time. 
and uh, we're, we'd be happy to have you come and <clears throat> send your young people there, and you know, we will do what we can to help make them better, better prepared mm. and trained and, and equipped for ministry. And half the time, the response is, oh, well, he don't need to go to school. God, 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 God will teach him how to preach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's a real issue. I, I tell people all the time, if you have your devotions in the morning, uh, I'm really happy for you. But if you don't, you're not a, you don't have an engineering degree, I don't want to get on your bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd rather have an atheist who has a really good engineering degree to build my bridges. Thank you very much. This is a, a really powerful concept here that we need prepared people. Uh, in whatever field it might be, as you well suggest, you know, root, having a root canal by, by correspondence is not a cool thing. Uh, but we have a tendency in the church to just kind of gloss this over as some kind of spiritual mechanism or, mm-hmm. you know, we're just, we just need uh, our concern to be spiritual. Well, all of life is God's and therefore it's all mm-hmm. sacred in that sense of things and we desperate, have desperate need of these things. Well, absolutely. And it's, it can be a challenge at times to kind of kind of guide people away from what I call sort of a mystical approach Yes. Uh, to ministry. Well, the Holy Spirit's there, so, you know, open up the head, pour it in. They've got right. And it doesn't quite work that way. Now, yes. to be sure, and what I tell, you know, the young person when he comes, okay, so, okay, so I'm here in homily's class, you know, so you're going to teach me how to preach? And the response that typically my teachers would give is, no, I'm not going to teach you how to preach. Mm. No amount of schooling or training or preparation can replace a genuine call. Mm. And if there's mm. not a genuine call from the Lord upon your life, mm. then you can get as many degrees as you want, and you know you, you may be more of a, a challenge to the church, <laughs> okay, than the outright apostate. Yes. But what we are going to try to do is give you some information, some training, some skills, or help improve the skills that you have that will make you hopefully a better equipped better prepared and therefore ultimately more effective preacher mm-hmm. than you might otherwise be mm. yes the holy spirit is very resourceful he can get an, an awful lot done with a dull clumsy instrument <laughs> you know and some yes. of our lives are testament to that i think yes but oh how much more can he do with a sharpened yes prepared refined Mm. instrument Mm. because God chooses to work as a cooperative enterprise Mm. with us he has his part we have our part yes and when Paul tells Timothy study to show yourself approved okay he's telling Timothy this is your part in the Mm -hmm. process yeah, this is huge. This is such an important issue. So many different directions to go with this. We just have a few minutes left uh, in our program today. I, I would like to just touch on this area briefly, and it really sounds, uh, Dr. Watson, like we're going to have to have you back again. But uh, the issue here for us, uh, thinking about the depth of necessity, preparation, and so on for the Christian church, is uh, the superficiality, generally speaking, of the theology of the church and how Christian academics can help that process. If you could give us a, an answer to that question, how can Christian academics help the process of the superficial church that we find ourselves in today? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, think about my own situation there at Greater Northwest. Um, I think that first of all, you know, every congregation needs to have uh, pretty much, you know, not necessarily have to be on paid staff or whatever, but every mm. congregation needs to have what I would call its scholar in residence. Mm. Uh, it's people who are its resources for 
you know, answering tough or addressing difficult questions yes. that people have about the Bible. So, well, you know, you know, my child came home from you know college this week and he said that, and his religion class professor said that, well, you know, there's no real evidence that you know that David ever existed, or that he's counted to ancient Israel. You know what King Arthur is to, to England. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, what do I, what do I tell them about that? Right. Okay. Well, so, so you know, you there kind of be that resource. Um, the other thing you can do is promote the development of the church's own resources. Mm. You know, one question that I always ask pastors when they ask about, well, you know, you know, what can I do to kind of, you know, broaden or deepen my people's uh, appreciation for Bible, maybe even theological issues? Okay, well, um, what kind of library do you guys have there at the church? Mm, good question. Library? And a church? Mm. Well, yeah, it's probably a good idea. Uh, we have one at Greater Northwest, and you know, library, media center, someplace where, where people can go to look up things mm. that maybe, okay, we didn't have time to get into this in Sunday mm. school class this past week, but here's a book in our church library mm. that you can go look at. Mm. Um, another thing I think that academics can do to be helpful uh, in the church settings, first of all, remember that they are part of the church, mm-hmm. okay, and because sometimes if we're not careful, we can, you know, we can make ourselves candidates, for, you know, for the. 21st century Pharisee club, you know, and we're kind of like, uh, yeah, the, all these common rabble, what do they know? And, you know, what made Jesus so unconventional is that, okay, I don't walk around the robes. Let's, uh, hey, let's go out here to, you know, Applebee's, whatever, mm. and, you know, kick around some questions or issues that you might have. Well, John the Baptist didn't come eating and drinking. Now this guy's a party animal. Well, okay. Yeah, you kind of <laughs> have to be out there with the people and, and talk to people and not be afraid to kind of interact and kind of develop those personal relationships. Mm. One other thing that I do also suggest or recommend that they do is that from time to time, you know, maybe have a monthly, you know, lecture series or presentation series in which, you know, you're, you know, the professor or the guy who's a, you know, a professor at a Bible college there in your church you know, takes up or addresses some topics or issues mm-hmm. that are of concern to the people in the mm. congregation. Uh, one occasional gig I had there, out there in San Diego was going out there and, and uh, giving a presentation on what's up with the Old Testament. Yeah. And people just had just uh, an hour just to ask me whatever they wanted about the Old Testament in terms of its languages, its you know, backgrounds, history and culture, things that I always wanted about. Where did Cain get his wife? Okay, well, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, those are things like that that could be very helpful, uh, I think, to the church. Uh, in terms of helping them develop their thinking and kind of getting beyond, um, you know, just sort of Sunday school level for those who want to pursue that. Right. Yeah, yeah this is these are huge issues for us, I think. You know, I, I'm really not blowing smoke here. I, I would really love to have you back again mm-hmm. uh, because we've just scratched the surface here of some really important issues. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would be really cool, if, for instance, next time we do this, maybe in a couple of months, uh, we could discuss this scholar-in-residence idea at a church. And maybe we could invite your pastor along with you, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe the two of you could talk about the importance of that scholar and residence idea, uh, the importance of that. And it also strikes me to say this uh, as well, that uh, it sure would be a lot of fun if we could find a forum, um, perhaps for you at Comenius, where you could maybe address a class or a group of people at IUPUI and uh, address the issue of, hey, what's up with the Old Testament anyway, and why is this important? You know, that would be really a great thing. Dr. Daniel Watson, thanks so much for being with us today. We're really grateful for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. So uh, you are listening to Radio TV at the Cool Groove site. This is Warp and Woof Radio. We come to you every Wednesday morning from 10 until noon. 
And next week, you will not want to miss this show, Derek Slack, Pastor Derek Slack, will be in the house. His sister, Dontanya Slack, just graduated with her JD, Juris Doctorate, and we are looking forward to Derek being in the house with us and talking about some of the great uh, opportunities he has and some great mission trips coming up. <laughs> and yeah, Doc Bats as well, absolutely. And then uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, Clarence Moore, Pastor Clarence Moore is coming back on the show again. Uh, we're looking forward to having him as well. Thanks ever so much for joining us this week on Warp and Woof Radio. We will see you next week. <laughs>